All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of, yes, you guessed it, the Crypto 101 podcast, where we're talking all things crypto, trading, markets, tech. Uh, Pete, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good over here. I have survived yet another thunderstorm in Texas. Uh, (laughs) This morning's one had thunder so loud it shook the house, which is a little concerning because the house is made out of brick. But uh, it survived, and so did I, so I'm excited to be here. (laughs) My man, uh, last week it was a lightning storm in Texas, this week it's thunder, and the other week was tornadoes. So that's what you get, man. That's what you get for leaving the the West Coast. Uh, I'm over here, sunny San Diego, and and the worst I've had it was a a slight drizzle, and it was below 70 degrees for for a short while, and uh, I was pretty shaken up. Uh, it was pretty tough for me, <laughs> but yeah, it's really bad with those waves are cresting early in the morning, creating all that noise at my old apartment. I just couldn't take it anymore. And people think we're talking about the weather and it's a tangent, but it's not the volatility in the Texas atmosphere is much higher than the volatility in the San Diego atmosphere. And we actually have a volatility expert with us today. Uh, we got ba- uh, we got Barney Mannerings, who's the founder of Vega Protocol, uh, which is a decentralized derivatives trading platform. Um, and Barney, welcome to the show. Hi guys, nice to be here. Yeah, and so the you know we, we had a little funny uh, you know the, the the volatility in the weather, right? And you could kind of have the uh, you know basically the volatility of San Diego is like, you know, maybe a one and the volatility of Texas is being a 10. 
uh, when it comes to weather, but volatility. And so San Diego might be like Bitcoin uh, and Texas might be like Dogecoin. Is, is that is that a fair statement? <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, sound, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so Barney, tell us, uh, tell us about your background before we dive into Vega. Uh, which, you know, for anybody who trades options, I think Vegas, the the sensitivity, it's like a the sensitivity to volatility is that sort of Greek uh, letter. So we're going to talk about some some cool stuff in, in the options market and how you think about that, how, you know, derivatives kind of come to play. But but before we get into all that, let, let's just hash it out. What's your background? I, I know you were a capital markets guy at Accenture in the past, but let, let's dive into that. And how'd you kind of find your way into crypto? Yeah, I mean, so before I was a sort of a finance and capital markets guy, I was a, a nerd and a computer scientist. So, you know, I studied computer science at university. And you know, back when I finished a university in the early 2000s, there really wasn't uh, wasn't as much going on in startups in London as there is uh, there is now for sure. And so I ended up kind of gravitating towards finance because there's a lot of really smart people there solving difficult problems and you know using maths and science uh, to do that. So. You know, I kind of went that way and, uh, and spent, you know, the first 10, 15 years of my career working really on on trading systems and risk systems of various types, including, you know, with uh, major exchanges like the London Stock Exchange's clients and with major tier one investment banks and others. So, you know, spent a lot of time doing that and really got to understand how markets work at a kind of technical microstructure level, if you like. So, you know, when you look, look into the microscope and see how things are whizzing around and how they interact with each other, it's actually quite different to to what you see at the headlines at the end of the day, if this was just up up 10 or up 20, and there's actually a lot going on and it's really, really fascinating. And so yeah, I got really into that stuff. And But equally when uh, when Bitcoin turned up um, as a computer scientist and someone who'd been into sort of cryptography, so the original original meaning of the word crypto, and, and as some would say, still the meaning of the word crypto, um, you know, it was really interesting to see Bitcoin. And I, I got very interested in kind of finding out what that was doing and, fiddling around. I did a small, very, very small amount of Bitcoin mining on kind of a gaming PC for a year or so back in like 2014. And, and then, you know, ended up investing again a small amount, but into a bunch of things, including the Ethereum pre-sale. Um, and it was Ethereum that kind of really excited me. Like, you know, Bitcoin was cool and I wanted to hold a bit and, and, and sort of talk about it. But Ethereum is kind of gave me the next step of interest really and, and got me down the rabbit hole because I started to realize that the types of systems that I had spent my career building could be built in a decentralized way. And it wasn't just like this sort of one-off thing called Bitcoin. It was kind of all these different applications. Um, so that was kind of what got me into that. But I, I kind of was sort of doing you know, blockchain stuff on the side as kind of a sort of consulting part of my consulting gig really for, for a while, because Bitcoin is not, um, you know, not, sorry, not Bitcoin. Ethereum is not a, not a super fast system. So as you guys probably know, you know, it's, it's, relatively slow block time it's got you know relatively low processing capability you know not much transactions per second which causes the high gas fees and all those problems mean that when you start looking at things like derivatives trading and even most types of spot trading uh, they present a real problem for if you want if you are trying to sort of imagine how to how to reimagine finance because you can't really imagine moving everything that goes on on a major exchange like the cme or something moving on to ethereum in its current state and so you know, I kind of didn't do much originally. And then, you know, sort of three, three and a half years ago, I met my co-founder Ramsey. I'd, I'd been working on my first startup, which was sort of, we were trying to work out what to do with it and, you know, how to 
how to move on. And, and, you know, we started talking about this stuff and decentralized exchanges and, and my co-founder introduced me to some researchers at UCL who were looking at new kind of proof of stake platforms and smart contracts. In fact, they were building their own and uh, it was called Chainspace and they ended up getting acquired and having a, having a good outcome there. But in, you know, in, in, in doing that and talking to them about this stuff, I, they, they educated me about how the technology had moved on and really what was possible performance wise. And that was where I started to get this glimmer of an idea that, um, that building some of the systems that I built in the, in the city, so to speak, could be done on a blockchain and could be done in a decentralized way and it could actually be better than what was there. And so, um, you know, Ramsey and I spent the latter part of 2017 and, and the beginning of 2018 pulling together, so me pulling together my ideas and prototyping and working with those guys uh, and Ramsey thinking about some of the business stuff with me as well. And, you know, beginning of 2018, we realized we thought we had something and, and pulled together a team and wrote the white paper and, uh, you know, it all, all sort of went from there, really. That sounds amazing. Um, we want to unpack a lot of that, but before we do, let's start at the very beginning of this. For some of our new 101 listeners, do us a favor, define what is a spot market and what is a derivative so people understand exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so that it's it's actually really simple, although a lot of people try try hard to make it sound not simple because there's a lot of acronyms and there's a lot of numbers and noise, but... You know, normally when you're thinking about buying and selling stuff, you're thinking about actually buying and selling real stuff like things. And, you know, even though stocks and shares are not like physical things, they're real things that you can own. There's kind of like a deed and they represent something, they represent some rights. And so, you know, a spot market is just when you're buying and selling actual stuff. And it could be barrels of oil or pork bellies or stocks and shares or, or bonds or currencies. But Bitcoin, exactly. The spot market is just you're moving stuff around and exchanging stuff for other stuff or stuff for money. The derivatives markets are where you're not buying and selling stuff. And, and let's unpack that a little bit. But what you're buying and what you're doing is you're agreeing with someone how you and they will make money if something happens. So like a good example might be like if you and I wrote a contract and agreed with each other that if there are like if there's a tornado and a snowstorm in Texas next week, like I'm gonna pay you a hundred dollars. And if there's not both of those don't happen next week, you're going to pay me. I would and be we fleecing contract, you week after week. <laughs> you're going to be taking my money repeatedly as Texas weather confounds all, all prediction. Um, but yeah, you're going to be taking my money, but also we're not trading a natural thing there. Like we're basically moving money about based on the rules that we set out in that contract. And the reason it's called the derivative is because the, the value of that contract is derived from something else. It's derived from, in this case, whether or not the weather does weird shit in, um, in Texas. And so, you know, it's derived from that other thing, which means that if you have an idea of the probability of a snowstorm and the probability of a tornado, you can start to have an idea about working out the price of it. Is The price is derived from those things, but the price isn't those things. And you're not actually trading the tornado and the snowstorm itself. You just have an agreement to move your money around based on those things. And so that's why it's called a derivative. I love it. Fascinating, man. And, and so Barney, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, I'm trying to think about like what, what people are thinking, right. And, and, and they want high level, you know, how do we develop a good trading system? And maybe we could say, what are the differences under the hood between a good trading system and a bad trading system? Yeah, sure. So, you know, there are, probably a few different categories of things that make a, a trading system or a trading protocol or venue or whatever you want to call it good. And, you know, the first one obviously is 
does it have the products that actually do what you want? And so, you know, if you want to trade something specific and you can't actually trade that thing, sometimes you can trade something that's close and that's that's okay, but it's not as good as being able to trade the exact thing you want. You know, you go to the, the shops and you want to buy, you know, the pasta that shaped their little bow ties and actually they don't have that, but they have, you know, spaghetti. It's kind of like, okay, cool. Well, I can probably replace them and it's going to be okay. It's a proxy for the bow ties, but I'd be happy with the bow ties. So, you know, one thing is the is having having what you need, having what you want. The next thing is is having liquidity, which is basically, and to use the shop analogy again, it's like having stock. It's like, you know, your 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 small local shop might have a couple of bags of this pasta, so it's okay. You need to feed four or five or six people, you'll be fine. But if you need to feed a hundred people next weekend, you probably need a bigger shop with more liquidity, with more stock. And you know, liquidity is a thing that continuously needs to be supplied and refreshed as in in response to the market's demand. And so. You know, the earliest decentralized platforms had no liquidity because they hadn't worked out liquidity incentives yet. And so you could theoretically trade something. But in reality, when you wanted to go and go and buy the pasta with the bow ties, the shelves were basically empty or or there was like one bag of pasta on the shelves and 600 people all bidding up the price of that one bag. So the incredible volatility because of the lack of liquidity. So that's another thing that's really important is that liquidity. Um, price determination is important as well. So like, um, if you kind of have a trading trading venue where the price is where it's difficult to work out the price, the price is effectively wrong, um, then that can cause you problems. And you see this again. You know, one of the problems you can have with AMMs is, you know, these AMMs like Uniswap, they don't actually know what the price should be. They just know how much of asset A and how much of asset B they've got. And so the more of one they have in stock, the cheaper it'll be compared to the other. And that means that if someone tries to buy a lot of something, you just get a crazy spike. And you know, there's not other people there in, in Uniswap's contract to go and you know mediate that price. You have to wait for other people to buy and move it back down. So that's quite an, in some cases, can be an inefficient way of of determining a price. Whereas in a in an exchange with an order book, you can kind of, you know, everyone can put their price in. I would buy for this, I would sell for this and keep updating them. And so you can get more efficient price determination. So that's a that's an important thing. Um, latency is important too. So you know, if you get a price once every 15 seconds with every Ethereum block, it's okay. You can kind of see the price, but it does mean that, you know, when you look at the, the trading interface, it's less alive, it's less real time, it responds less of, less well and less reactively to news. And so it's a little bit different. Whereas if you look at, you know, one of the centralized platforms, they update many times a second. And, you know, one of the goals, especially for decentralized platforms is to get as close as you can to that kind of centralized experience where the price is always moving. Um, and then obviously the cost, because, you know, if you if it costs sixty dollars in gas every time you want to buy it, trade something. I mean, someone who's trading a hundred bucks worth of, you know, Shiba coin or whatever is uh, is going to be struggling to justify that when it costs sixty dollars to buy them. So you kind of shut people out of the market if the if the if the fees are too high. Um, and then the final one is fairness, and fairness is something we we care a lot about at Vega because we want to give people fair access to markets, and we think that. It's no good building a market where people can kind of have this sort of unfair access. And in Ethereum world, that's kind of that's kind of MEV, you know, front running and the ability of people who run nodes and people with a lot of money to kind of look at what's going on, run sophisticated algorithms and get in front of everyone else. And it does two bad things. The first thing is it makes the markets unfair and means that the little guys are always losing. The second thing it does is because you have the sort of fee-based system in Ethereum, when they can do bad things, they pay more gas to do that and they bid up the fees. So you end up with, Things get less fair and things get more expensive, sort of at the same time, which is, which is not ideal. So those are those are probably the main things. Yeah, man, we we definitely had a couple acronyms in there that I want to kind of rehash because I think they're important. So AMM was the first one, um, an automated market maker, and and what we're seeing is 
like with the proliferation of the Uniswap and the sushi swaps of the world. Um, like he said, you know, those are just automated uh, order books, essentially. They're not really even order books. It's just um, a, a kind of a balancing act of, of supply and demand. Um, and there's impermanent loss. And so as you described, you know, if somebody puts in a huge order, um, the, the, exchange, the automated market maker, the program doesn't really know what the price should be. So it'll show the other guys as having like an, a, a huge loss until the other side of liquidity kind of fills it in. And then there's, there's, a, there's kind of a, a reshuffling. And so from there, we've kind of had like the next generation, uh, you know, that was very basic. That was V1. And then V2 came, there were some efficiencies. Kyber Network is coming out with uh, like a dynamic market maker, which is going to have like on-chain order books. And there's, there's lots of really cool stuff. I really like Matcha, which uses the 0x protocol, which allows people to have like limit orders uh, like on a, on a proxy relay network. But, but Vega is building something very, very different, right? And I, I want to hear about it. And so tell us about how, well, actually, before we get into Vega, there was another um, acronym in MEV, minor, extract, uh, minor Extraction Value. Minor Extractable Value. Minor yeah. Extractable Value. Yeah. And, and where you have miners front-running people on the order book. So, so tell us a little bit more about, from a, from a person's standpoint who's watching the show right now, who is that retail trader? He's, he's throwing 2000 bucks uh, from, from USDC into um, you know, a small cap coin. What's happening? How is that guy getting the bad end of the deal because of these guys who are front running him with flashbots and stuff like that? Kind of like talk about how people yeah. are and, and how that actually does happen in the real world. But because crypto is so inefficient, it, it's happening at a, at a magnified level here. Absolutely. So actually, this is the, this, these two things connect together really nicely. So the, the AMN, the automated market maker, as, as you described, it kind of balances what stock is available of the, of the two assets being traded or whatever, or the long and short positions and, and determines the price based on that. So that effectively, the, if you buy, if you, know, if, you, if you use Uniswap to buy something um, and you buy a, buy a hundred of it, then you're going to get a certain price on average for that purchase. But the next person who comes in is going to see like, the end price, like your, if you think of your price, your price started here and it went up and you get the average price of that curve. And then the next person starts where you left off and goes up again because they've got a hundred. And if someone comes in and sells, it'll go back down. But if someone, if two people buy in a row, the second person gets a worse deal than the first. Supply and demand on a very- the thing they're buying is getting depleted. Supply and demand on a very tight, tight time frame. Yeah, you mean you're literally just sat there on that supply and demand curve and it's getting worse for you, the, the, the more people who buy in front of you. And so what happens is, you know, in the Ethereum blockchain, when you put a transaction in, it sits around for a while and then gets put in a block. And Ethereum looks at all of the transactions that are sitting around for a while and puts them in based on who's paying the most. And so effectively, if someone sees that you're going to be that guy buying 100 um, and they know it's going to get worse, then effectively they can go in and be ahead of you. Um, and actually that means they can potentially be ahead of you and end up effectively selling to you. And so you effectively get, um, you get a worse price because someone got there first. And, you know, these, these other people basically got in in front of you. They could see what you were about to do and they took advantage of it. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like- yeah, And it's really because of these, the nature of these blockchains these public open networks that every time you broadcast your intent to buy something, right? There's a block time and, and people are seeing that and who have really fast computers and algorithms built to detect this sort of stuff. And, and uh, a lot of people are getting raked over the coals. And so um, is Vega 
maybe is Vega building solutions to that? Does that come to bear on Vega? And, and maybe we could just yeah, start absolutely. to dive in. So, for sure. So, um, yeah, so the first thing that Vega does is Vega has, has order books. So Vega actually has the ability to put these limit wow. orders in and say, I want to pay, you know, I want to buy this and the most I'm willing to pay is a hundred or 150 and I want to sell this. And you know, the, the least I'm willing to accept is this. So Vega lets you express those things. It also has a bunch of other order types that, that give you the ability to control your trading and, in different ways, you know, and it's a completely decentralized network. So, and like you said, well, everything that's happening is open. All the data is open and free and everyone has the same access. But equally, when you decentralize the network, you often introduce that problem that Ethereum has, that sort of MEV, the people running in front of you. Um, and so our lead blockchain researcher, Klaus Kasawe, he's a he's been working on this stuff since uh, actually working on consensus algorithms and, and that technology since before Bitcoin. So he actually did research there when it wasn't cool and ended up working in a different industry for a while because no one was really interested in this consensus stuff until Bitcoin came along and made it useful again, or made it useful for the first time, really. Um, and then suddenly there was a use for everything and he came back and, and started working working with us. And one of the things he's done for us is to design a, a protocol called Wendy, which is a fairness protocol. And the goal of this Wendy protocol is to basically say that if you're a node operator and you see my order before someone else's order, you then can't go and switch through that round because that other person is paying you. And so effectively that protocol gives you a guarantee of fairness that means that these sort of attacks of MEV where someone can see that you know that 90% of the people in this block are buying, so they just buy up first and then sell to those people at a profit, that becomes impossible because you can't, if you are seeing that those people are there, then you're going to be behind them in the queue. And so it allows us to enforce that that kind of ordering in a much better way, even though the network's decentralized. It's, it's an that, elegant solution. That allows solution. us to make much fairer markets. It really sounds like uh, the problem that you have at Disneyland, where you're waiting in line for hours, and then some rich guy with a fast pass comes along and gets to cut in line in front of you. <laughs> That's really what's happening all this time on Ethereum. But it's not just Ethereum. It's also on platforms like Robinhood, and eToro and Invest Voyager because they're brokers. And that's essentially what they're doing is they're taking your order and then selling your order to liquidity providers who are then going to go buy in front of you, take a premium on that spread and then sell it back to you at a higher price. And that's how so many traditional markets work. I mean, it's, it's a broker system. And for whatever yeah, reason, we just I mean... accept that as normal, but Vega is going to fix that. That that's is that's the plan. And, and, and I've seen it, you know, I work, when I worked with banks, you sit there and it's kind of like this super efficient, you know, FX trading platform, electronic, millions of transactions a second or whatever. And, you know, they're trading with each other, the big guys trading with each other at almost no cost. And then but when you look at what someone who's a commercial user gets, it's kind of like they talk to a relationship manager who takes a commission. Relationship manager buys that from like a, a desk. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi video lock a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. 
And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success in the bank who takes a spread the desk in the bank buy it from the electronic system within the bank which is another department in the same bank that's taken spreads so the same bank's taken three spreads like it's insane that is insane so tell us more about what vega is going to look like when it's finally done i know you guys uh just to come out with your version three test net so congratulations um get paint us an audio picture so people don't have to pull over off to the side of the road and go to the website right now. Yeah. So Vega Vega looks like a, an exchange in a way. So although it's a decentralized network, the, we have this advantage. Like you know, we're not building uh, something that's kind of going through the kind of the restricted APIs of something like Ethereum, which caters for everything. We've built a network that only does trading, and that means that the the front ends and things that are built into Vega have access to really rich APIs. So when you when you connect to a node, when you create a wallet on Vega, you can see charts, you can see you know, order, you know, um, order book visualization showing where the orders are in the book. You can see the prices in the market. You get a kind of very professional interface that you can move around. Um, we've also got like some community bounties out there to create. Um, and we're doing some stuff in, in hackathons and stuff to create 
you know, user interfaces that are more like Uniswap as well. So ones where people who just want to buy or sell quickly can just get in and go. Um, but for the, you know, kind of reference UI, the main, the console, Vega console product that we're creating to connect to the Vega network, that gives you a really sort of professional quality UI. And, and over time, one of the things we wanted to do is be very educational. So you know, we haven't got that much of that in place yet, but there will be a lot of things where kind of, you know, you, you get this professional UI with all the information, but there are things you can click on, which give you a visualiz- visualization of how margin is calculated or, you know, how your position's value looks or what the risk is like. And, you know, what we want to do is sort of, we want to give people not only access to a network of the kind of the products and functionality, but also the same tools that professionals have. Because, you know, you look at what a retail platform gives you, it gives you flashing lights and it's kind of like going to Vegas. It wants you to click buttons. And, you know, we don't have those incentives to do that. We don't profit when you trade, like we're a, an open project in building this network. And so what we want to do actually is give you tools so that you can see in the same way that a, a professional trader would see, oh, this is a very risky position given the volatility of this market. I should watch out because actually I might get liquidated before I get to where I want to go. Like if, if you think Bitcoin is going to go up over the next week, but it's your position is so leveraged that it's probably position is going to blow up within a, an hour, you'll never get to win any money. You never get to profit if it does go up. So we want to give people those tools to actually say, you know, you have what you need to be uh, to be more better to take control of the trading that you're doing, but also educate people on how to use them. Wow, that, that that's I mean that's phenomenal. I mean there's there's a lot of people that are watching the show that are that are retail traders, um, even you know a, a few you know professional money managers. And so when I think of something like Vega, I'm really excited because I want to be able to now have those sorts of analytical tools to be able to calculate my positions and my P and Ls. Um, the volatility, smile, and you know, convexity of positions and all sorts of stuff. And there, there hasn't really been um, a, a good resource out there. So it's, it's awesome to hear that, that Vega is building such tools. Is there going to be a huge cost for people to use Vega? Is it like a membership? Is it, you know, do we have to have Vega tokens in order to transact on it? So no, you actually don't. Um, so, you know, the network will be a proof of stake blockchain. And if you want to run a node, so if you actually want to run a, a node, which is, is quite a quite an involved thing because of the performance of the network, there'll be a relatively small number of nodes running really quite expensive gear and needing to support it around the clock. So it's not, it's not going to be like, you know, Bitcoin with that many, many thousands of nodes, at least not, not for the first few years anyway. Uh, so if you want to run a node, you will need you know, tokens to stake. And if you want to participate in governance, so you know, create your own markets or propose markets or propose changes to the markets, you'd need the tokens to do that. And then to trade, you know, we want to, want to make sure that trading is simple and easy to understand. So to trade, you just need the things you're going to trade with. So Vega's actually bridged to Ethereum. So you start off with an ERC-20 token. So say you've got some DAI um, and what you want to do is enter, you know, get into some market. Uh, you basically, you know, you, you go into the user interface you're using. So Vega's console or something else, click, click deposit, Use MetaMask. Um, you pay the gas fees. You, it's on your, your your assets are on Ethereum, so you've got to pay gas. You send them to the Vega smart contract in Ethereum, and then once that's done, the beauty of the whole thing is once they're on Vega, they're on Vega. So you don't have to pay any more Ethereum gas. You've got these assets locked up on the Vega network. They're bridged to Vega. You see them on the Vega console front end, and you can you can trade, you can place orders, you can do everything. And there's no no more Ethereum gas fees there. You do pay a fee each time you trade on a market. So when you enter a trade. Um, if you take liquidity, actually, if you make, if you provide liquidity, you get paid. So if you're placing orders and providing liquidity, you're getting paid by the network for doing a service. If you're taking liquidity off the off of the order book, then you're paying for that. But you know, and that that's set by the market and set by the liquidity providers in that market, and it can be anywhere from like you know, really really low 
as low as any centralized exchange to a higher fee if it's a very liquid market or a difficult product to, to make liquidity for. You pay that fee when you when you make a trade, which is another cool thing. You don't actually pay for the order. So, you know, you can place an order. If it doesn't trade, you didn't pay a fee, um, which is you know really, really nice compared to sort of any interaction you do with Ethereum or Bitcoin. You've got to pay the gas on that. So, you know, that that's kind of what it's going to be like. The, the, the goal is that the fees are not high um, and that it should be, you know, it should be possible to trade in relatively small sizes and to, you know, to use the network at a, for a reasonably, reasonably low fee. Um, obviously this will depend, you know, as, as the whole thing grows and expands, we've got some, some scaling stuff that we can do. And we think that we can keep the fees pretty, pretty low by having the right incentives in the network to make it scale. But, you know, time will tell. Makes sense. Um, just a quick question. So we understand, uh, you got this bridge to Ethereum. Is it like an Ethereum side chain where you're running a, your own copy of Ethereum that's modified, or is it like a layer two, like Matic? Uh, where it's built on top of the actual Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, so so Vega itself is like its own blockchain. I um, mean, it uses Tendermint, which is the underlying consensus layer, uh, which is the the sort of main blockchain software that does the network stuff. It uses the same same underlying part of that as uh, Cosmos, um, but it's a completely application specific network and chain and, and protocol built on top of that. the The bridge is effectively we run some smart contracts on Ethereum and. That means it's a bit like, you know, when you have wrapped Bitcoin, it's kind of like, you know, you instead of that, you sort of wrap your wrap your ERC-20s and they they appear on the Vega network. So it's kind of like a layer two, but it's also kind of like its own layer one. It's sort of an app-specific layer two, I guess you could call it. That, that's fascinating. And, and I, I have a feeling um, that there's a lot of other kind of uh, networks that are starting to do similar things. I know... Just off the top of my head, Compound is trying to do some, I mean, nothing similar to Vega, but they're, you know, they started as an ERC-20 token, a, you know, a smart contract on Ethereum, and they're trying to uh, have their own application specific chain. Um, so I think it's a pretty popular trend that, that, that we'll see a lot of the, the more successful projects start to take on. Um, one of the things I'm interested in um, is how, how exchanges, um, like yours and, and like many of the other ones are incentivizing or attracting liquidity uh, to the platform. And so um, I think just, I mean, to give people a high level, like in, in the traditional world, or maybe I mean, why don't you get, you're, what, what, you're the expert, you're the guest. How do uh, tra- traditional venues and exchanges attract liquidity, um, you know, by high taker or high maker fees and uh, stuff like that? Uh, and then how are you guys doing it? Yeah, good question. And I think you know, there are two, two answers. And the first part of the answer is that liquidity has network effects. And, and what that means is that if you have a liquid market and if you have a, you know, or a, an entire exchange which has many liquid markets, then you're attracting traders, you're attracting money. It's easier. You launch a new, you know, you launch a new stock on the New York Stock Exchange. There are much, many more people who are going to provide liquidity to that than if you try and create your own exchange and launch a stock on that. Like you're not going to get much liquidity there. And so the network effects are big. Um, and then the other thing is simply you pay for it. And the difference between decentralized things and, and Vega and centralized is that the traditional guys, when they pay for it, they tend to, I mean, they have a few rules. They have like rebates and stuff, but really what you get down to is people doing deals. You know, you kind of get this, you know, people arranging certain people who have a special status of the exchange. They get to provide quotes. They get to provide liquidity in different ways. They get different rules, different fees. And you know, sometimes those programs are semi-open to sort of any professional trading firm. Other times they're a very 
specific deals between sort of big participants, but ultimately people are sat around doing business deals to provide, to get liquidity for markets. And every time something new launches, they're probably going to go out and like shop it around and get liquidity. And, you know, the exchange is going to pay for that out of its profits and all of that. And what Vega does and, and many decentralized exchanges is they build into the protocol. So the way the whole system works incentivizes liquidity. And in, in the case of Vega, when you provide liquidity, um, when you create a market or commit liquidity to a market, it's a bit like investing in a company. And it, that analogy works really well because if you invest in a startup, you get it at a lower valuation and you get in early and you get higher returns than if you invest in like a you know, S&P 500 blue chip stock. And the same sort of thing is true with Vega. So we we actually calculate the number of LP shares. So the amount of the, the share of the, the liquidity revenue that you get based on the sort of the market size when you come in. So if you create a new market or get in really early, you're getting a much larger number of shares of the, the kind of liquidity revenue than if you are coming into a very liquid market already. And the nice thing about that is it does two things. So the LP shares effectively take a share of the fees. So the fee revenue on the market, the liquidity providers actually get to bid what fee they would like to see. And then there's an algorithm that sets that fee. Then once that fee is captured, it's shared between all the liquidity providers based on how much of those LP shares they own. Um, so, so basically nice people that, who own the Vega tokens, um, are they earning almost like an in-kind yield or an in-kind dividend if they just hold them or do they have to stake them and, and provide liquidity with them? So this is, so the interesting thing here is the Vega tokens are actually used for the kind of network governance and, run, and running nodes and you can delegate to a validator and you can, you can receive revenue, an amount of revenue from fees for doing that. We actually separated the kind of, you know, some, some networks have like a two token model and governance and, and, and the utility right. token. We actually have like an N token model, if you like. We have the governance token and the network. And then effectively, every market has its own LP shares and his own liquidity providers. And so to get access to the, the liquidity revenue on a market, you supply liquidity to that market, which is you know, actually quite, quite common. Uh, so you can't get liquidity revenue for doing nothing. You have to supply liquidity. Um, but the, the fact is because you get this sort of this uh, be, be benefit or bonus for coming in early, um, if you create a market and it does well and it starts to create, you know, starts to get more trading, then you're going to, going to receive more revenue than someone who's come to another one. So there's this kind of nice, nice dynamic built into the protocol where the protocol encourages people to do things that encourage more trading and encourages people to do things that generate value for the whole network. Got it. So if I wanted to come in and create a market just to trade dog coins between Doge and Shiba or Doge and Husky or something, and I load all these coins in there and for it, since it's dog mania right now, that would do really, really well versus something um, that maybe there's lots and lots of people supplying liquidity for. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Like if you if 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 that if the market doesn't need liquidity, you're going to get less for it than if it does. And if it doesn't exist, but yet there's a lot of demand, and you capture that demand, and you're the first to do that, you're going to you're going to sort of be paid for almost like taking the risk. Like maybe that market would have failed. So it's all, but because that market's ex- yeah, that, that that actually it's it's really genius. Like it almost incentivizes people to be like those early adopters, to be the first ones on board to and like in the same way that Satoshi Nakamoto incentivized early Bitcoin miners. Like at first, like 
you know, the, the people who were mining, it was really easy to mine, right? The, there was no, there was nobody mining. So the difficulty to mine exactly. was very small and you get 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes and you're like, holy smokes, but the, the Bitcoin's not worth anything because nobody wants it. But as you held it and you kind of bootstrapped that network and really bootstrapped the liquidity of the early Bitcoin network early on, then it became, you know, wow, great. And so kind of what I'm understanding from yours is like, you know, wow, you could go, you could bootstrap your own trading pairs. And if that gets the demand, um, you know, you have, you have the early capture and proportional basically uh, to, to the entire growth of that, of that trend. Exactly. And, and, you know, just like you're, you're sort of thinking about the, the number of Bitcoins early, the same thing could be true. Like you stick a bunch of liquidity into the market and no one is trading yet because no one knows about it. So maybe you get a hundred percent of the fees and nothing's happening. Right. So you get 100% of nothing is still nothing, right? But the point is you own 100% of it now. And the next person who comes in will get a smaller percentage for the same amount of liquidity in as you. So if it suddenly starts doing $10 million a day um, in, in fee revenue, you know you might have 40% of that. And those other people who came in and did, made the same commitment as you who came in later might only have you know, 4% or something. So you know, what, it, what it does, it is incentivizes you to take that risk and to do this thing that, that might not turn out because... If it does, you've got a bigger, bigger share of it. Makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Um, so can you give us any kind of rough timeline when the markets are going to be open? I know you're on your test net still and it just launched. Are you looking for a Q3, Q4 kind of launch or do, are we still a ways away? So first off, we actually are really, really close now. And it's actually not the network at all at the moment. It's just, it's just testing the way we do it uh, to give out the incentives. We're really close to launching an incentivized test net. Um, and what that means is that although you won't be able to do real trading, what you will be able to do is be rewarded for doing, you know, to doing things that help us test the network. So providing liquidity onto testnet, trading on testnet, you know, trading against people, writing trading bots. There's a bunch of different things. So first thing is check out, you know, the fairground.wtf site where you can see that and, and get involved very soon when that launches. And then is that www.fairground.wtf. That's right. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so check that one out. And um, and then the second thing, obviously, the main net itself, we're looking to launch that over this summer. You know, we're hoping for that to be as soon as possible. Um, probably the earliest that would happen is probably sort of, you know, probably like early Q3. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to say what the timelines look like at the moment because really we're driven by the testing. It's kind of almost all the features are in place, but we want to know that the thing is going to be stable and that there's relatively low chance of people losing money and stuff once it launches. And it'll be, it'll be an early alpha and there'll be some limits here. We're going to sort of have the protocol set up so that it won't take large deposits. So if you try and try and put, you know, $100,000 in, that's not going to work. So we want to, we want to be very cautious with the launch because it is a new sort of UL one, but uh, sometime this summer that will be, uh, that'll be launched. And I feel like it'll be right in time to capitalize on hopefully uh, DeFi Summer Two, the Electric Boogaloo. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be getting uh, another kind of DeFi summer here. You know, as, as you know, Compound and Maker and some of these seriously, you know, large cap DeFi coins are starting to really bloat up. Um, Uniswap is already over like you know a forty billion dollar market cap. It feels like, and so as everything starts to inflate um, and get pretty, pretty significant, what, what is vague? I mean, are, are you allowed to say, or do you guys know how large sort of the market capitalization of Vega is going to be when it launches or, you know, you know, how, how big is this thing getting? 
Yeah, I couldn't say to be honest. Like you know, when 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 the thing launches, it'll be the public markets that that tell us that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't, I couldn't tell you what that might look like. I think, you know, you can look at it one way and go, well, when it launches, there will start off with zero markets, and everyone needs to come and provide liquidity. So, you know, you might expect it to launch quite low. But on the other hand, you look at some of the some of the market caps, the things like Injective when they're in their test nets and they're already you know, well above a billion dollars, and you sort of look at the the things we're doing that are perhaps even more sophisticated than some of those. And so, you know, you can, you can easily see an argument either way. And I think yeah. at the moment, I wouldn't want to have a, wouldn't want to take a guess. I love it. No. And I think that's a good comparison is, you know, they're, you know, everybody has to go and do their own research, but I incentivize or I encourage everybody to Google an incentivized test net and, and see what sorts of uh, uh, projects have come from there. I know Cardano did a big incentivized test net. Um, so I'm, I'm on fairground.wtf right now, and this is an awesome website, I must say. I love, love this website. It's bright green and yellow. <laughs> it just tells everybody, stop, just read. <laughs> uh, very cool. Well, well, Barney, but before we let you go, um, you know, we, we got a couple questions uh, that we, we like to ask everybody who's getting into uh, crypto or everybody who's on the, on the show for, for, for new folks that are getting into crypto. And so bottom line is just like, if this is the very first podcast that somebody was listening to as they're kind of on their journey to crypto, their mind is probably a really blown right now, learning about decentralized derivatives, but, but what would you want them to know as just a veteran in the space who's gone through the ups and downs? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one thing, there's probably a couple of things I would say, like the first one is like, try and get sort of deep like because a lot of there's a lot of stuff where people get excited about almost nothing you know they can kind of you can go into a telegram group or wherever and you can talk something up and really it's just a bunch of announcements and like a bunch of people trying to create something from nothing and if you can find the stuff underneath that and what what they what the team have built and you know whether you, whether you don't know about code you maybe don't need to look at github but if you can really get a hold of a sort of idea of what's been built and really whether there's substance there and look back over the history of a of a project and start to see what's going on, then I think you have a better chance of evaluating things. And, you know, the other thing I would say is that, um, you know, this is still a space hugely driven by speculation and like you, to an extent you have to play that game and, but also you have to be aware that you're playing that game. And so, you know, even things that are going to be worth a lot one day, they might be worth a lot now. They might also be worth 10% of that in, in six months time. So you, know, you really have to sort of pace yourself with this stuff and, you know, diversify investments across projects you think are good if you're investing or if you're getting involved in other ways, like, you know, pick teams and pick people who are sort of very collaborative and community-based and sort of open. And, you know, the ones that that feel like big evil companies and that sort of feel corporate are, and the ones that sort of have that vibe, like it's not not necessarily going to work as well in crypto in my experience. You know, kind of the, the benefit is from the collaboration and the benefit is from being part of this sort of ecosystem. And I think looking for the people who are, who are good players like that is probably really helpful. Awesome. And then Barney, uh, this is just a last question and it's something we don't typically ask people, but I'm kind of curious. So right now it's Tuesday, it's May 11th. Um, do you, you know, how Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's right now $1.2 trillion market cap. Any, any kind of guesses for by the end of the year? Uh, you know, what are we going to touch kind of at, at the high point? You think this could go to a $2 trillion market cap by the end of the year and effectively double the price of BTC? Oh man, that's a difficult question. I mean, I would say like this, this is not investment advice, but Never I would is. say that between now and the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like 
80 to 100k Bitcoin, but I also wouldn't be resized if surprised if we saw like 20k Bitcoin again. <laughs> so like, and which order they come in, <laughs> and which one sticks, like, and for how long, I don't know. Um, but you know, based on where we're going now and all the stuff that's going on, you could easily see a big run up. And there's a lot, you know, it's always it's interesting because you, know, you look at 2017 and there's a lot of lot of similarities, but it's also not the same either. It's, it's got some the same things going on but as also compared to then there's much more institutional many more projects have built out really serious good infrastructure like there's there's a lot more going on of substance and value and a lot more institutional and and sort of smart money in there so it's not the same but it equally has some 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 sort of mirroring assets of 2017 so i would say yeah you know at some point there's going to be some some kind of crash but how long it lasts and how far it goes i don't know Sometime before or after then, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see something significantly higher by the end of the year. But yeah, it's uh, it would be tough to tough to call it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. We don't mean to put you on the spot, but there's so many different ways that even the smartest people in the space look at this thing. So it's always interesting to ask the same question, get a different answer every time, just to show that it really is a toss up sometimes, and you need to be patient uh, and also be guarded. You know, protect your money. Uh, but at the same time, scared money don't make money. I was looking at your <laughs> finance yesterday at about $54,000 thinking, man, I should long this thing, but I don't really know how this market works. It's not following a normal pattern. I'm going to stay out of it. I woke up to it being $74,000 today. It went up 40% <laughs> and I completely missed out because I was scared. So <laughs> with that said, uh, we're all here to make money, to change our lives. Uh, and build a better world. So Barney, thank you so much for doing your part and making a platform for everyone to trade fairly. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.